we are, guys. Episode 6 of Exposure Breakdown. This week's topic, you ask? Women. Why does Carrie <laughs> Not just women in society, guys, even though every woman is a superhero. Since we are a podcast on public relations, we are going to focus on women who are brave enough to put their careers on the line and their PR teams who help them navigate backlash. Carrie, you were the one that came up with this topic. Do you want to I- go into more of a full swing? I went in. I think it's really important. First of all, it's March is Women's History Month, and we talk about so many um, powerful young women. And we talk about. I mean, we talk about a lot of 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 people, but we do talk a lot about powerful young women. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's important that we start to talk also about like people in that have been in the industry for a while. That you know, I mean, Taylor Swift, for example, she's been in the industry for twenty years, but she's still for all intents and purposes, a young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of young women who, especially in the past, like, three years since Me Too happened and, you know, the whole Harvey Weinstein breakdown thing, um, that they have fearlessly put their career, their life, everything on the line um, and said Me Too. They've said Time's Up. Mm-hmm. They've said we're not doing this anymore. Um, and there are women that have been around for a long time that have done, have been doing those things, but it was really in the shadows until kind of like the Weinstein thing happened and Melissa Milano tweeted and, you know, and then Jennifer Lawrence did everything. And it's, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, hold on a minute. We're going to have to edit this. What's up? I'm doing my podcast. Just, just take it back up. Yeah. Okay. Oh <laughs> but yeah, so okay. Anyway, there were there were so there have been so many women that I've like looked up to because as we all know, I'm I've got a solid twenty how how many years do I have any people? Twenty five years? Mm-hmm. Probably, um, yeah, probably around then. People like Ellen DeGeneres. Like, Ellen DeGeneres yeah. is fearless. Ellen DeGeneres legitimately gave up everything. She, like, lost everything. But the to speak out and to become a, a public figure, um, especially in that time period in, in the 1990s, Melissa Etheridge, I mean, stood at Bill Clinton's inauguration, and she's saying, you know, uh, come to my window and and stuff off. Yes, I am. And she was a huge reporter of Bill Clinton because of the don't ask, don't tell policy, which was ultimately not really a good thing, but it was way better than what existed before, which was, you know, being court-martialed and stuff. Um, she came out, but she came out and then all of a sudden it was like she kind of got niched a little bit. Like everybody went, oh my God, every awesome Melissa Etheridge song that's been played in the past five years, we've now figured out she was singing to a woman, not a man, even though all of her music is universal. Mm-hmm. Like, there's never pronouns used. It's like you, me, her, him. Like, you could, anybody could listen to Melissa Etheridge and have identification because she doesn't use a lot of pronouns or she doesn't say, you know, I'm a woman singing to a her. She just sings, I love you, I miss you, you make me happy, whatever. But when Ellen DeGeneres made the decision to come out authentically, um, 
I remember sitting there watching the night that it happened on TV and I was, it was in 1996. I was 25. And I thought to myself, she's going to lose it all. She's literally good. This woman is so funny mm -hmm. and she's so good and she's so kind. But for the sake of a, a social justice stance and a political justice stance, she said, I can't authentically be Ellen DeGeneres, who's a lesbian in real life. And I'm coming out to the world. Well, my character, Ellen, on my top 10 talk show is living an inauthentic life. I can't be, I can't, can't be Ellen and be true in the real world. If I'm on screen looking for a boyfriend, cause that's not what Ellen is doing. Mm -hmm. Ellen in, in no, in no way, shape or form was ever looking for a boyfriend. And when she did that, literally that television show, just it, it nosedived. One of the greatest things. And I hope Ellen, I'm going to tweet, I'm going to tweet to Ellen. We're going to tweet this to Ellen once we get it edited. Um, one of the things that made me, uh, and I'm taking sunglasses off because I want Ellen to understand, like, because my eyes are going to read pay this. attention. Ellen, Ellen, if you're listening, I'm sorry I called you Niall Horan, but this is important. No. Never. <laughs> she always, she's funny. She forgives you. Um, I remember watching her, and I remember watching that show, and I remember thinking to myself, this is so groundbreaking. And then over the next like eight weeks, I remember watching her show go from being like in the top 10 to not even being. And then, you know, and, and the, in the four or five days that, that they did the lead up and she did press, she did an interview with Oprah. She is what everybody's doing interviews with Oprah still. Mm -hmm. um, she did an interview with Oprah. She was interviewed by all the press. And then Wendy's yanked their advertising. They threatened ABC Disney with yanking their advertising. And oh. ABC Disney said, we don't need your advertising. Um, and it's really important, I think, for people to understand that there are a lot of big, giant companies and corporations that do take political stances. And you, it's up to you to decide how you want to, you know, support those companies and organizations. Um, me, as a rule, I had problems with Wendy's beforehand <clears throat> um, because of <clears throat> their stance on um, on women's reproductive freedom, but that's a different story. But when they went after Ellen and said that she was anti-family, I was like, we're done. I won't eat Wendy's again. Mm -hmm. JCPenney um, yanked all their advertising um, and they wanted nothing to do with her. And she turned around 20 years later and became a spokesperson for JCPenney. When she got her show, when Rosie kind of like walked and left and that, that kind of crumbled and tumbled, unfortunately for Rosie, but Ellen was the perfect thing to kind of step into four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, cause Oprah was leaving. Um, and I watched her first show ever and I watched her come out and I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is something different and this is something new. And she is going to rock the world with this show and she's going to just talk and be free and be her. Mm -hmm. And then all I could think when she finally, when she became the spokesperson for JC Penny, I was like, I told you, mother. If I were her, I'm not that big of a person. That's what I'm telling you. Ellen is the best. I'd have been like, where were you in 1996 when you were all over the news saying you were yanking advertising from freaking ABC because they were playing a TV show where I came out and discovered that I was gay? Where were you then? You want me to be your spokesperson now? You better pony up some money to P Flag, to Glad, to the Trevor Project. To every to like all kinds of stuff, like you better come out and apologize. I would have demanded an apology, yeah. but on this classy, I am not. Now, isn't it interesting? Like going back to what you said originally, 
it's really interesting to me how when you said that she first came out, everyone said this is it for her. Where if you were to think about it, if a man did the same thing back then, everyone would have been like, good for him. Like, no, they wouldn't. No? No. No, because I'll tell you what happened because this was a, what do you a mean, big. What though, by like, no, like them saying they're gay or something that they stand for is what I'm saying. Them like, saying they're gay. If, okay, I'm uh, saying. Okay, so what? there were women, there were women, there were a lot of women that came out and said things politically. And I mean, Jane Fonda is the first thing you thought was this is the end for her. Like that was your guys' mentality. And had it been anybody else and I'm, you know, putting the doobly-doo like people because when Brit and I can go look or you guys can talk a little bit. When Ellen DeGeneres came out, not only authentically in the world, but her character of Ellen on that sitcom came out and said, I'm gay. The reason I've never been able to find a boyfriend and have a long-term sustainable relationship with a man is because I've realized something about myself. And what I've realized is that I'm in love with this woman, Susan, I, and who was played by Laura Dern. And Oprah said, and she was, she said, I, I think I figured out why I can't have a boyfriend in, in this beautiful fam famous scene where Oprah's playing her therapist and Oprah goes, why? And she goes, because I think my boyfriend, I, I've fallen in love. And, and Oprah goes, oh, oh, and what's, and what's the, this person's name? And, and Ellen said, her name is Susan. And everybody in the whole studio audience like went nuts and went crazy. So wait, she and fell Oprah, in love with her co-star? No, yeah, no, it was that was how they that's how they did that it. That was how they did it in the That's show. how they wrote it into the show. Oh, okay. So Ellen had met this woman a couple episodes beforehand because there was buildup. Um, and it was a it was a a character named Susan who was played by Laura Dern. And um they became really good friends and Ellen, if you'd watched it, for like it was in like its fifth or sixth season when this happened. Um, it was very successful and very lucrative. And when she, um, when she uh, met Susan, she started to be like, this is very, very different for me. I don't know what this is. And, you know, she had no idea like how to navigate it. And then um, in the press leading up, you find out that it, the reason that Ellen, the character, doesn't exactly know how to navigate this relationship with with Susan, who Susan is out. Susan's out. And Ellen's like, oh, oh, I've made a friend who's a lesbian. And they were all like, oh, look, I have a lesbian friend. And in the 90s, that was a very cool thing. It was like one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm going to even though we've all been raised that gay is crazy or gay is weird. In the 90s, all the Gen Xers were like, I have a gay friend. It was like an accessory. Oh, and yeah. so in the show, that's what they did because that was part of what the, the cultural context was. The popular cultural context was at the time and the cultural context. So in the show, they kind of wrote it in as like, Ellen meets Susan. They She comes into Ellen's you know coffee shop. They strike it up. They get, they get along really well. They go hang out. And then like, I don't know, two or three times after they hang out, Susan says, well, you've got to not understand, Ellen, I'm gay. And Ellen's like, oh, oh. And then you watch Ellen be like, how do I process making this friend who I now find out is gay? Mm -hmm. Which was something that was really common and happening to a lot of people my age in their 20s at that time. Because we were the first ones to really have 
friends that were like, I'm not living like this anymore. And I'm not scared wow. um, because there were pioneers beforehand that had broken down all those barriers. And we were all the kids that were living with people, our friends dying of HIV and AIDS, not because they were gay, but because it had been pulled into the entire community um, through a variety of different reasons. And so then there's like a couple episodes where Ellen's like, I don't know if I should be friends with her. Should I be friends with a gay person? Are people going to think I'm gay because of the stigma of homosexuality in the 90s? Oh, God. And she figured out, she started to see Oprah as her therapist because she mm -hmm. was trying to figure herself out in a lot of other ways too. Like, why can't I get a man? Yeah. Why is it every guy I go out with, they don't want to hang out with me anymore? And then she comes to Oprah and the episode where Ellen comes out, which is just one of the most beautiful episodes of television ever. Um, they open it up and she's in a dream sequence and she's in a grocery store. And the joke used to be that, um, you know, they used to say that you could convert people to being gay or lesbian. Mm -hmm. And the joke with lesbians were if you, get, if you are a lesbian woman and you got another woman to, quote, become a lesbian, you would get a toaster. So she has this dream where Katie Lang gives her a toaster. And then they go to the sequence where she's sitting with Oprah and she says, I think I've figured out what's up with me and I've actually fallen in love. And Oprah's like, you've fallen in love. You've met somebody who is this special person. And she goes, her name is Susan. And the whole studio audience, because they did, they did it live. It wasn't even pre-taped. Ellen came out in her sitcom and they ran it live, like in real time. And I remember sitting on the couch with all of my friends and I was crying because I was so happy for her. And at the same time, I was also crying because I was like, the world is not ready for her. Mm -hmm. The world is not ready for this. The world is not ready for a gay lead sitcom, a, definitely a woman. Yeah. Now, after um, that aired, did the show go downhill? Yep, no. They wrapped it, they tidied it up with about five or six more episodes. They tried, they did some really beautiful work in the next three or four um, with her friends. She had to then come out to her parents. She had to come out to her friends. Um, she had developed a relationship with Susan. It was really, really amazing. But the problem was, was the people that had yanked. So like there were, um, there were several major companies that yanked their advertising that didn't come back, which was a blow to ABC um, economically, uh, people stopped watching because they didn't mind Alan not having a boyfriend and owning a coffee shop and having quirky, quirky, weird friends, but they did mind her being a lesbian and, um, there were death threats and it just, it literally, they wrapped the show up and it, it didn't come back. They, they didn't renew the contract. So in, in a matter of about a month and a half, um, we could look up the numbers or whatever her, uh, her show went from being a top 10 rated sitcom to being canceled That's just and she had a job. She couldn't go do stand up because she would go. Do, if you've ever watched Ellen stand up, it's very universal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she would go do stand up and all, and the like gay people would come, but straight people wouldn't. And the gay people were like, why aren't you making gay? Why are you making jokes about being gay? And she's like, cause I've never made jokes about being gay. I'm, I'm, I'm an observational humorist. Mm -hmm. And then she would, straight people would come and they would be all paranoid that they were going to go in and try to get recruited by gay people to become gay. So she couldn't get booked. Retail. And it was legitimately a fluke 
she was trying to figure out like what she was going to do with herself. And she talks about this. I recommend everybody always watch. And my next, next guest needs no introduction with David Letterman. Dave, if you're listening, I'm available for a job. Um, <laughs> same, same. That is my dream. Um, but she got the call to be Dory. Oh, and I remember. Yeah. Dory saved her because she came out in 1996. Yeah. No, 97. It was April of 97. Well, I was born in 97. That was the year it came out, that movie, the fish movie. No, no, no. Dory Nemo did not Friday. come out in. Nemo came out in 2004. You're kidding. I thought it was the year I was born. No, no so I think Nemo cool. came out in 2003. So. <laughs> Dang, how old am I? <laughs> yeah, I know. Nobody knows. Um, Ellen came out on April 30th, 1997. Dang. Uh, the episode sent shockwaves through the television industry up to that point. There had only been a handful, handful of gay characters that had been seen in minor supporting roles on television. None of these were series leads. She did that, and then they, they canceled her show. Um, and then she got Dory and Dory got her at least money in order to be able to like pay her bills and take care of things. Because if you figure that came out in 97 and, and Dory came out Memorial day of 2003, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't yeah. know. So six weeks. Yeah. I just looked at it up. six years, six years of very little work. She, she struggled a lot to try to find stuff. She would do, you know, game shows or she would, do commercials and stuff like that. Um, and then she, because of Dory, it then started to open things up. The other thing that happened in that beautiful six years, what was awful for her, Will and Grace happened. And that broke down a lot of barriers about um, what gay looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, there had been some characters that had been introduced on different dramatic TV shows um, that were like, you know, walk-ons and stuff like that of people being gay. So Hollywood started to get more accepting of homosexuality. That Also, Brokeback Mountain came out, which was, you know, groundbreaking when you got somebody like Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal. So we're talking about people like, I wanted to talk about powerful women, but I'm also talking about like, talk about fearless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How fearless are those two men to have taken that, that role? Yeah. In that film because yeah. that film that film freaked everybody out well, actually um, also, it's interesting uh, didn't you even say that when they advertised for that movie it was very much like them and their like girlfriends in the advertisement so when people went into the movie theater to watch it they were like, they had no that? idea what was about to happen yeah. <laughs> like i did i was like you know, I read Entertainment Weekly and Rolling Stone and Spin and Variety and Billboard, and I read all this stuff. So I'm like, oh, my God, this movie's going to be so groundbreaking. Uh, you have no idea how many people I know that were like, I'm going to go see that Heath Ledger movie. Or I'm going to go see that Jake Gyllenhaal movie. And then they walked in. I was like, what? <laughs> so like, movie. Well, and at that time, too, like when Brokeback Mountain came out, it was like kind of those few years they were starting to really make these beautiful movies that were, um, I would call them art films that were kind of also very, very beautiful and mainstream kind of the movies now that we all see that get 
nominated for Oscars, you know? So like at the same time that Brokeback Mountain had come out, you know, American Beauty had come out. So there were movies that were kind of encroaching on these difficult conversation type of things that were mainstream and critically acclaimed films. But yeah, I like, I remember Brokeback Mountain. So that broke, I mean, literally that movie broke down a lot of stereotype and barriers, but to, to take a role like um, Hillary Swank did in Boys Don't Cry, where she played Brendan Tina and did a real biopic of a trans person who was murdered. You made a watch that, didn't you? That was you. Uh, I, did I make you guys watch or that? Or was it Whitney? It might have been. It might have been. Might have been. Her, it might have been um, her. Uh, yeah, I don't think you did. Yeah, I don't think. No, because I think that there are other people also like. Um, I have other colleagues and can't talk about. I forgot. As soon as I said it, I was like, yeah, her. <laughs> that person from that place. That person from that, that place. Person. We'll get it all figured out. We can edit this out, too. Viewers, y'all don't need to know. We're keeping it a mystery. Yeah, but anyway, somebody made me watch it. I watched it. I loved it. And I didn't even know. Like, after I watched it, I, I, was, like, I was like, what was that about? And someone told me, and I was like, oh, Wait a minute. Did not understand what was going on in the tent? Well, no. She <laughs> was like, was like oh, on? they're sleeping. Like, <laughs> well, okay, can I just say? No, but I don't even, you know what? I don't even like to talk about that scene. I feel like that scene is, this, this show is not what we were talking going to talk about, but here well, we are. no, actually, I feel, it never is. The reason... No, but it, I, I actually do, because I can pivot to where I want to go. Yeah. I think one of the things that the PR people for the movie studios and for Heath and Jake and everybody else didn't do well was that scene became the dominating narrative. Mm-hmm. And the not dominating narrative of that movie has absolutely nothing to do with what happens inside of that tent any more than it happens with any other movie where two people fall in love and they struggle because they come from different places and different backgrounds and should they be in love. That plot narrative exists in everything because thanks Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet were not supposed to be in love. There are so many movies where it's like star-crossed lovers, you know, like I'm using Hank's book, but you watch A Fault in Our Stars. Are Hazel and Augie supposed to fall in love? No. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, the problem that that I feel like what happened with that movie was it was so good because it made people realize that... This is that when two people fall in love, regardless of where they are falling in with regard to their sexual orientation, their gender orientation on the binary, any of that stuff, it's it's legitimately at the core. It's just a human emotion that people feel. But so many people, when they hear the words gay or lesbian or bi, any of that kind of stuff, the first thing they do is they think about a bedroom. They think about the actual act of sex. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is like, when I when we walk through our heteronormative world, we look at people unless they're like yelling it, um, and probably displaying it or whatever, and and we automatically assume everybody's heterosexual. And it's like when I meet people and it's like, hi, this is so and so, and this is his husband, blah blah blah. I don't automatically think about what do they do in their private life any more than. 
hey, this is like Treslin and her boyfriend, this guy. I'm not going, I wonder what they're doing. Like when you meet me and my husband, are you thinking instantly about us being intimate? No, no but people that are in the LGBTQI plus community, that is what the problem is. And to me, that should that is an example where the movie studio didn't do the good job of making it not be about the sex in the tent or the makeout session in the parking lot that Michelle Williams sees. Those things are very important because they're part of the overall relationship. They're part of everybody's overall relationship when you have a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. But everybody walked out of there thinking it was a movie about gay, gay cowboys having sex in a tent. And, and it was screwing up wives rather than two men in the 1960s who had who were gay and had been gay for a long time and had stifled it and then were not able to stifle it anymore. Mm -hmm. And they had to figure out how to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And it, so there's a, a missed PR opportunity. But and I think it's like really interesting when we like look back at, you know, film or like those little moments that Ellen had to have to like get to where she is today look at how many like celebrities who are just like I'm dating a girl and everyone's just like eh. like it's kind of like yeah every no and nobody it's it's I shouldn't say nobody cares because I think people care I yeah. think people are still but I think a kind of I think people are still kind of weird, weirded out are, or wigged out say, I, I think, about trans about trans people, which I'm like, Why? well, I actually talked to my yeah. friend about this actually, and she's like, I feel like every generation there's that like culture shift that people are kind of like weirded out about. She said, for our parents, it was gay couples. It was like, what is that? Then Allison and I grew up with gay couples, so we were like, whatever. And now for us, it's yeah. these transgenders, and it's kind of like we've never seen it. It's kind of different for us. But then my but, sister, if you talk to like my sister, right over the head, it's like transgender. She was a boy. She's a girl now. Who cares? Like, who cares? Yeah. So I think yeah. every generation is going to have that. But I think our generations are way more accepting. Like my, I feel like parents, mm -hmm. especially the parents that you guys know, I know, I think they were very like, ew gross don't do it in front of me don't do this don't do that and it's kind of like why make i will talk where where's rich he needs to be in the rich <laughs> um no because he and i are basically the same yeah. age so we're both gen xers yeah. so gen xers kind of fall into two categories i say this about because we're basically your parents yeah. there's enough space that i could be like your parent your yeah. parent we kind of fell into two categories. We were the people that were like, no more. We were like the, the gay people have rights. People of color have rights. Women have rights. So we took on social justice issues and we did, you know, we did the, the, like the, we put together a little affair. We were cool with the fact that Melissa Etheridge was gay. We supported Ellen DeGeneres, but it was the, boomers and the silent generation that still were older because we were in our 20s we were all 20 and yeah. like we're cool but it was the older people that had all the money that were not cool right i think a lot of what my generation has done is we've raised really good kids so despite the fact <laughs> no and i say this, I, no, I, I say this very honestly 
despite the fact that maybe, like, Allie, how old are your parents? My mom is 43. My dad is dad? 48. You have young parents. Yeah, they. my and mom so had me pretty young. How old are your mom and dad? My, my dad is 53. My right, mom, he's I old. think, is 50. Okay. So this is the thing. We're all Gen Xers. Yeah. And we all have we all have varying ideas, but we also we were the kids that grew up where we were all terrified of like getting HIV and dying. We all watched our culture shift. Mm-hmm. We watched the this very, very hippie, 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 the hippie counterculture made our country become very uber traditional and conservative, like Ronald Reagan and George Bush, George, old George Bush. And then we're the ones that like got Bill Clinton in and all of a sudden Arsenio Hall's on TV and you've got more people of color on TV and Bill Cosby, like forget Bill Cosby now because, but Bill Cosby, like we watched the Cosby show and we saw Martin Lawrence. We watched in living color. We had cable. We were exposed to a lot of different people. And I think what happened is when we got to the point where we had you guys, when we had our kids, we we're like to our own parents and maybe to some of our friends. Look, dude, if that's what you want to think and feel, you do that. But I didn't raise, and I don't believe, I mean, I know that all of us here were raised in different ways with different kinds of like political and social cultural belief stuff. But I also think that one of the things that we Gen Xers did when we raised our kids and we had our kids was we raised our children that everybody comes from a different lot in life because we were the first latchkey kids. We were the first kids that were products of lots and lots of divorce. We were the first kids that were in blended families. And so we had to learn how to like stepbrothers and stepsisters. We had to learn how to move across the country. We had to learn how to take care of our own self and our little brothers and sisters because our single mom went to work. But we also learned in those periods of time, too, by watching movies and TV shows, things like What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Like, it was okay. I remember when I was little that it was okay to pick on people that were intellectually disabled. But by the time I got to be a parent, like, not one of the people I looked around that grew up with me were like, they were like, you do not use that Mm -hmm. word. That is mean. People cannot help things. You do not do yeah, that. And by you that actually is- saying, by you actually saying that, I always remember the the thing that always sticks out to me in my childhood is anytime we were at a restaurant or in public and there was somebody that was different than us, my dad and my mother always would look at me and hit me a little and say, never stare. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what where they're from. You don't know anything about them. You do not judge somebody based on that. You don't ever do that. Correct. So I remember always thinking about that. And I'm like, dang, like they raised us to be very respectful of everybody. Right. And the thing is, is, I mean, we can talk about like, like there, there are a lot of political differences in your, like your family, my family, Allison's family. But the thing is like your parents, her parents, my parents, we all, they may all not, your parent or your parents, her parents and me with my ex-husband and my current husband may not all agree on things politically, but we all raised our kids that because we somewhere in there, the message sunk in. And I think the message sunk in because of media, 
because we were exposed to Michael Jackson. Like my dad was really mad that I listened to Michael Jackson, but my mother was like, you shut up and leave her alone because he did not want me listening to people of color. No, my dad did not like the fact that I, and my dad's probably going to listen to this, but my dad was like, what in the hell is that? When he saw a culture club, when he saw boy George and my mother was like, leave her alone. It's a phase. So we were, we as Gen Xers, we saw a lot of like weird, funky, cool stuff. We got introduced to MTV. We got introduced to like some really outside of the box thinking. And well, while maybe our parents didn't dig it, we were kind of like, okay, like my mother told me all the time, you will never get a tattoo. You'll never get a tattoo. (laughs) Absolutely not. You are not getting, I wanted, I wanted one hole in my ear and I had to like, I had to pay for it and do like whatever she wanted to do. My second hole, she didn't know I had it for like five years. Cause she was like, absolutely not. That is not, how are you ever going to get a job? No tattoos. My parents were big on. No, no doing your hair weird. Dress like a norm, a normal person. Me, I'm like people walk in, I, people like walk through my life, and I'm like, "Yo, man, what's up?" And and everybody's like, "Did you see their their like ears are gauged?" And I'm like, "I don't care." I literally don't even. Yeah, I, I don't even like. Ruthie, even Ruthie, my mom got so mad the first time that I um, braided Ruthie's hair with like color. She was like, "I can't believe you've done that to her beautiful hair," and I'm like. It'll grow back. My grandma used to pull that stuff all the time. My mom was like, she is, she's like 14. Who cares? And that's because none of us were allowed to do that. Yeah. Because our, 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 like my, my parents won't let me do that. Your grandparents, your grandparents are the same age as like my parents. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Justin's grandparents are basically the same as my parents. No tattoos. No, none of this stuff. Now it's like, you know, you walk into a bank and there's somebody working. They got their nose pierced. Yeah. They, they're got their, they got tips That's, of their hair. My parents they got- used to yell at me all the time. They're like, you're not getting your nose pierced because you're not going to find a job. I said, guys, I majored in communication. Do you think anybody cares? No, no they don't. <laughs> And that's the thing. I like. And I think these older, like older generations. You know, I work with my grandparents right now, and it's kind of like some things that they say. I'm just like, you guys think it's a big deal, but you don't Literally understand not. that we're coming into the work field now. My generation's entering, right. and you guys are gonna have to start changing your beliefs for us. Because if you want people to start working for you, you're gonna you have to get over some of this like weird yeah. crap. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Well, and I've had that. I've had that conversation because I've I've tried to say that about like Ruthie and my niece and my nephew, um, to different family members who, you know, aren't really cool with like like the fact that Ruthie is probably Ruthie Ruthie got fake nose pierced a fake nose piercing thing to try it out to see what she looked like, mm-hmm. um, and she's like they haven't ate my nose pierced and I'm like okay as soon as COVID is like calm down and I'm not worried about you like you're you're vaccinated or whatever. I don't care, pierce my she, my mother's like she is not. And I'm like it's her nose. She could pierce if she wants. She's twenty. That's I got I this care. double, and my mom was like, "Mom, yeah." I told her I told her not to do that because a lot of people just think automatically like the, of like a cow ring. No, I just have these two. Yep. Oh, so you have both sides done? Yeah. I have like okay. a Ruthie cow ring too. Have them now. <laughs> and I'm like, 
I have tattoos. Like, my, like there are people who are like people freak out that I have tattoos. You can't see my tattoos. Yeah, yeah I have tattoos, but but anyway, I but I put down track a little. Bit. Yeah, we <laughs> are just going. going. About... We're just going and going However, and going. <laughs> well, we're going and going. But we're also talking about like generations and bravery and like. You know, Jennifer Lawrence being like, uh, you know, and Gal Gadot, like, not working till you start paying the same amount of money. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's crazy to sadness and Wonder Woman have spoken. You know what? It's crazy because Megan Fox tried that how long ago? And they were just like, and, yeah. and yeah. Megan Fox was branded forever as like the bitch. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and she just and was like, I literally just and I go did too. Yeah. I think another uh, big show that did, like that did that really is I remember friends going like viral for that were like, there were so many people that wanted to pay, like, I think Ross and Rachel's character more, and they all went as a united front and was like, we're all getting paid the exact same from now mm-hmm. on. Like, if you're giving... And they... And and in, and I will tell you that uh, Jim Parsons and Kaylee Kuko get, got paid more money than the other people on Big Bang. See, I don't think that that's right. Like, it's kind of like... Jim Parsons made ungodly amounts of money and i I mean i understand that the basis of it is sheldon and leonard and kutherpoly and um wallowitz so you'd at least think those four four men are going to get paid the same and probably starting out they did they probably got solid scale and it was all arranged where they were within you know a a speck of each other but when they added in like sarah gilbert did a stint for a while then maim went in and um uh melissa roach yeah. and they had all these people that came on um at one point in time they were all gonna not sign because all of them were asking for a million dollars or more an episode and jim parsons got paid the most of everybody and she got paid she was asking for more money um than uh johnny galecki and so there was a question of whether or not Chuck Lorre was going to do it. Because how do you have Big Bang without Penny? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So she was she found her worth and she found her value. Um, there have also been, and I think this is fantastic, in the past year or so, since they started talking about Me Too and Time's Up, sexual, you know, sexual harassment in, in Hollywood and entertainment business and everything, and also pay disparity, where you have actors and actresses Actors who have said, like Matthew McConaughey, is like, "You're, n- I'm not working if you don't pay her the same amount of money." You and that's the podcast that we're going to have. So when the men start, we have these amazing men who are dope yeah. feminist yeah. allies that are also putting their careers and their lives and livelihood yeah. on the line, and they may take yeah. a hit for it. But I have so much admiration for an actor. Um. And I call all actors actors because of the gender, the genderedness of the, of the word. Mm-hmm. But I think when, when you have all of these actors that are going to be like, you know what? Yeah. No. No. We both bring yeah. the same. We both bring something to this yeah. this thing. Like for and I'll get and I'll give my boyfriends as an example. I'm I'm fairly certain that when they made Good Omens, David Tennant and Michael Michael Sheen probably got paid very yeah. very closely because they were co headliners yeah. their co-draw mm-hmm. and they're two men but they're also both men who have gone yeah. on the record at, 
and and a lot of stuff saying no 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 michael is very very vocal about this if he does anything his female leads get paid yeah. the same amount of money and i think like honestly for kind of like son, jumping to like a different type of generation like I was going to talk about this on another podcast, but I think this episode's great to talk about this, how important it is for men to support women in the industry. Like, if you look at Taylor Swift, I feel like if all her ex-boyfriends came out and said, don't listen to that, she's just complaining that I broke up with her. The fact that all of her boyfriends, if you ask her, Harry Styles is a big guy on this, which I have to tip the tip jar. Iron? I'm sorry. I have to. It was Harry Styles. the first person where he's just like, if you want to use Taylor as an example, thank God she's the one writing these breakup songs and not some girl who doesn't know how to write music. Like she is awesome at what she does. Like I, I can't sit here There's and say, Oh, so his name you yeah, like he can't sit there. I think he said it on Howard Stern. He can't sit in front of Howard Stern and tell him, Oh well, they're bad songs. They're good songs. So it's not like yeah. they're good so songs. Just that small support that Harry has for Taylor. I think people, if these men were talking negatively about these girls, I think a lot of our generation in culture, people side with the man. Weirdly enough, so anytime a man supports a woman, a woman, people are gonna follow that guy and be like, she is good. And it sucks to say that, but I think that's true in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, too, what's important um, is I know in that interview, if I'm remembering that interview and I could go watch it, um, I think that all of the people in Harry's band all get paid equitably, mm-hmm. too. Because Harry's bad, like, that's that. the deal. I'm almost positive that everybody in the band makes, they all make good money. They all make oh, a yeah. really awesome living wage. If one of them gets a raise, he gives oh. them all the raise. And and I know Niall's the oh, same okay. way. Interesting. See, that's a, to me, yeah. that's a big yeah. deal. Because it's like, if you guys, I understand not being able to pay every single person on the staff the same amount. Because money runs out eventually. But I. Well, right. But if you've got five people in a band. If you have a five person front or a six person front. All of those people who are giving you the most money, like there's a core group of them who are making you money. That core group of people, whether it be a man, a trans, a woman, a whatever, you're getting paid the exact same because you guys are all equally helping me make that money. Mm -hmm. We would have to look up. I would also like to look up too. I think it would be interesting to look at when you have a show like Five Guy or like um, Queer Eye, Mm -hmm. where you have like five five. Um, gender identifying men, biological sex men. Well, and Jonathan's non-binary. But if you got these five people, they were bring literally brought in kind of out of obscurity. Like they all had jobs. They all were doing okay. Nobody yeah. was destitute. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I it would be really interesting to see how they negotiate contract because obviously everybody everybody loves. If you love Queer Eye, you love them. I all. love Queer Eye. But does Jonathan get paid more money because everybody loves Jonathan? Because that I don't think Jonathan would stand for that. Just like I don't think Karamo, I people love Karamo. Should Karamo make more money? I don't think Karamo Brown, ethically as a person, would be like, um, if you're gonna give me, you know, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars an episode, um, you're gonna give it to yeah. my four friends here too. Because mm-hmm. we do this. 
Yeah. We all get and the same. That's the thing. It's like it's not just women who need to. And fight. I think that in one direction, that yeah, like happen. even even what I'm trying to say is like it's not just women who needs to fight for women. It's it's these right, men, men exactly. that need to step up and be like, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm thank you for paying me this much, but here are these people that kind of deserve it too and it's going to one direction i mean you know they all didn't get paid the same like let let me see what men there are right now as you guys talk men who demand oh um, okay so allison maybe we can talk about this the biggest like moment for women well one of them i would say not only was the rihanna scandal with her boyfriend chris brown i think that was a huge we're only going to be referring to him as her boyfriend, yeah, her ex. Because he deserves nothing. Ex-boyfriend who her deserves ex-boyfriend no recognition. Deserves nothing. Yeah. Um, that I prefer to call him her abuser okay, or so her batter. Her abuser. Yeah. Yes. Her abuser. That happened at an award show night, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and when she had know. that interview with Oprah, this is how amazing women are, by the way. When she did the interview with Oprah, Oprah was in shock when Oprah asked her. Why were you not saying anything? And Rihanna said, you know what's really sick? She said, is that when everybody started attacking him, me being his girlfriend, I said, someone has to protect him because they're going to go after him. And Oprah was like, you thought of him before yourself? And she was like, I loved him. Like, you don't understand. You guys don't understand how fame works. I understand people were sad for me. But me being a normal girlfriend, I was somebody's girlfriend. I loved him. That was my job to love him. He mm-hmm. was getting attacked. And my first instinct wasn't to go and find someone to protect me. It was go find someone to protect him because I loved him so much. His, his career. career. And I remember watching. Because yeah, he's going to lose it. Or not Ellen. Oprah. She was like, oh my God, like this is amazing like you thought of him before yourself and she was like that's me being a woman like I am a protector that's what I do I wanted to protect him someone had to protect him in his career and I watched it and I was like that's a woman like it's crazy like if a man if I feel like a man would have been like protect me protect me she beat me up all this stuff I think that's just how women instincts work like I will t- I'll give you a really cool example. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago um, when all this stuff happened with Kevin Spacey. And that's like a, a very, very different um, storyline in the, in the whole entire Me Too movement. Um, he's very close friends with Judy Dench, who he made, he did plays with and he did the shipping news with, and he's very close to her. And when people called him, when he was called on the carpet for, um, alleged sexual abuse of a young boy in the 1980s when he was a 20 year old guy and the guy was the young kid was like yeah. 16 or 17. Judy Dench, um, he said nothing. He went into hiding and said nothing because not only was he being outed for being, um, you know, what some people would say he was being a pedophile, um, but there were also people, nobody knew he was gay. Mm-hmm. Like he got outed by somebody saying 30 years later he hit on me because he's gay people knew he was gay but he ne- he was not wow. out he was not openly out. that's how kevin spacey mm-hmm. was outed um and and dame judy dench said that she felt that that was grossly unfair because 
first of all, it's a different time, a different context. Second of all, he's an extraordinary actor and we need to look at that. Third, it's not been investigated where it's, it, this is the court of public opinion, but most tragically was most people have the opportunity to figure out how they want to out themselves or choose if they mm -hmm. want to out themselves. Mm -hmm. And Kevin Spacey didn't have that choice. That is not me abdicating going Kevin Spacey's mm -hmm. a great guy. I, I'm not, but there, there's an example of a very strong, powerful mm -hmm. woman yeah, stepping yeah. up and using her voice to protect a man who was being yanked through the court of public opinion. So I just found on my tablet, these are the male stars that are taking uh, stand for equal pay for equal work mm -hmm. in Hollywood. Uh, number one, Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm -hmm. He will not work unless the women that are in the same level, tier level he is, get paid the same amount of money as he does. Number two, Bradley Cooper. Good Bradley Cooper demanded, he has demanded, he, he did not realize during Silver Linings that he made more money than Jennifer Lawrence. When he then made American Hustle and Joy with her, um, he demanded that she get paid the same amount of money as he did and get producing credit. Um, Chris Rock. Chris Rock will not do anything. Um, and there's an article in the New Yorker where they where they talk um, to Leslie Jones, um, where he talks not only about the fact that Black men don't get paid as much as white men, but black women don't get paid as much as white women and black women do not get paid as much as mm -hmm. white men. And so when you look at a movie like Ghostbusters, which actually was done with parody because it is a very good female testament to the Bechdel test. Yay. Um, he, but he talks about it at length and the fact that he he's like, you know, his quote is black women have the hardest gig in show business. If you hear any if you hear somebody like Jennifer Lawrence talking about getting paid less because she's a woman. Trust me, if she was black, she'd have a lot more to complain about. So black women don't get paid. Shonda Rhimes has changed that and she's changed that in a million different ways. One, by being a writer and a director, by casting powerful black black actors and actresses, producers, you know, stylists, all of that stuff. Shonda Rhimes is like the bomb, but she broke through so much crap because of other people. William H. Macy will not make anything unless his leading women get paid the same or more at, than him. And that is because Frances McDormand didn't. Other ones, Liam Neeson, Mark Wahlberg, Michael Sheen, Dominic West, Lin-Manuel Miranda. All the women get paid the same amount of money in Hamilton as the men do. Yeah, those are just some of them, but they they are out and they're vocal. That's taking a huge yeah. risk. Yeah. And I mean, also, and, and another person um, besides, you know, Rihanna that had that situation about her and i think i say this only because men take huge risks but i think somebody who took a huge risk was taylor swift with that dollar counter sue or no she just sued him he didn't sue her at all yeah, yeah no. so she so for anyone who didn't really know and people actually followed this way more than i did only because i didn't really understand what was going on but later on i really found out because people were like this is awesome 
The other one is you got to look at Kesha. Yeah, Kesha. We'll talk about Kesha. Crazy. So that's like yeah. an episode. So, um, like Taylor Swift, she was at a meet and greet, and she took a picture with this couple. Were they a couple? They were a couple. Or no? Wasn't it a radio show? It was. I thought it was a meet and greet. Wasn't anyway, it the host yeah. of a radio was, show? Yeah, yeah. But, I think it was a meet and greet at yeah, a radio show. Yeah, but um, she met these two people. They both took a picture. He put his hand on her butt, and she was very uncomfortable. Um, and then later on, I don't know if he sued her or something, but she, I think, I think what it was, was that it was like, he was like the host of this radio show. Okay. And when she said it, he like sued her for defamation. (gasps) That's right. That's right. I knew he, cause she countered sued. I remember. Yeah. So because he sued for defamation because he has the show and he was like, my career is over because Taylor Swift accused me of this. Right. So he ended up suing her. She countered sued for what was a sexual assault. Probably. Yeah. So she countered sued him. And what people were so gung ho about is that she didn't want to make a a huge statement with money. She didn't. Yeah. She didn't care about the money. Give me a buck. I just want a dollar just so you know this was a this was wrong. Like yeah. you don't do this. Like that was really messed up. And I don't want anyone to hear like, oh, Taylor wanted money or twist it in any way. It was a dollar. Just so you know you were in the wrong in the situation. And she walked away and yeah. on. And that's like looking back, that might have been I think next to Rihanna's confession. Like I'll look back at that and be like, see what happens when you, when you stand up for yourself as a woman, because people are scared to do that. You don't understand. Like people don't understand that women are terrified to speak out because they're scared. When was, what's going to actually happen to them if mm-hmm. they address something, but sometimes yeah. it works out. Well, and I'll tell you, it's fun, like a like funny Rick Springfield thing because I've told you guys before. We watched, the, I think I had you guys watch the movie, um, the the documentary um, in two thousand four. Uh, Rick does his thing in his show where he does the Human Touch. No, there's no concerts lately because the Human Touch is yeah. a bad idea. But he sings a song, Human Touch, and what he does is he st- sings a song, and then as they're playing the music, he literally steps off the stage. And we all, like, help him across, like, the tops of the seats, out through the bleachers, and you all get to touch him. Now, nobody ever thought anything of it. It was like, oh, my God, here he comes. He's going to – he's, like, walking in the audience. And he shakes your hand or or he looks down and he, like, puts his finger on your nose or he ruffles your hair or he uses your shoulder to balance himself. And he's really, really tall and thin. Um, in 2004 – at the New York State Fair, he was he did two free shows. And um, in the evening show, there was a woman who claimed, you guys can go look this up. This is like the Rick Springfield butt um, uh, court case. And it's really funny. It's called Rick Springfield's ass. Um, he, this woman accused him of having his ass hit her face so hard she fell to the <laughs> ground. She lost consciousness and she has memory loss and she's never going to be able to like function again. That's Doing a big him. butt. He was like, ass. what? Well, so we, like, all, all of the fandom kind of gets friends. together, and we're like, we, a lot of us were at the show. So we, what happened in that, what happened was his lawyers reached out because she mm-hmm. was suing him mm-hmm. for a epic, like, pain and suffering thing. And he's like, I'm not, se-, she, and what she wanted him to do was settle. And he's like, I'm not settling. I've been walking out into these audiences now 
to connect and to meet with my fans because in the 80s, I couldn't have done it. In the 90s, I it occurred to me when I decided to come back into my career that my fans were going to be the reason my job was ever going to happen again, that I needed to have some kind of connection with my fans, which is why I started doing meet and greets. I had to kind of start all over again. And part of the starting all over again was doing this human touch thing. We also saying don't talk to strangers. We, there's a lot of cute little things he puts into the shows that are very fan oriented and that help you have that connection. But this woman sued him. And so we always went to the fair because he played the fair almost every year for free. And we always we got engaged at Turning Stone, which is about 30 miles east of Syracuse at, at, on the Oneida Reservation um, or in your Verona, New York. And so what happened was when she got sued him, he didn't book shows because he didn't know she would come. And there was no way of knowing if she would come or not. And he couldn't put himself in jeopardy. But he did come back to Syracuse. In the meantime, lawyers reached out to people that were like a very high profile on Facebook that were fans. And they were like, do you have pictures from this concert? Do you have pictures of this area? Do you have pictures of her? This is what she looks like. Does anybody have pictures? Because we always are taking pictures. You always take pictures at mm -hmm. concerts. And um, they were able to get pictures and stuff from people and enough witnesses that were fans that were like, this is a lie. But the the bigger question then jumped out of, one, is he ever going to be able to do this again? Because it puts him at risk. Yeah. It also puts us at risk, but none of us ever thought of the risk. We just thought, how cool is that? He comes out like in a mosh yeah. pit type of deal. Only not moshing, just walking through. So one, is he ever going to do this again? Because how can he trust that somebody in the audience wouldn't try to say that about him, that he put their hand on, on their body in a wrong or inappropriate way, or he harmed them in some way. And then the other question was, could, could we as a bunch of predominantly women be okay? Um, and is he okay with the fact that for real, and I've, I've seen this, women grope him and they grab him inappropriately. And so there was this huge question of, is he going to do it because uh, it can put him in a liable situation where he could hurt somebody or he could be accused of hurting somebody or touching them as he's trying to catch his balance? Like, you know, instead of getting your shoulder, getting you here on the top of your chest so he doesn't fall on top of six people. And also what kind of, of situation is going to put him in where he's kind of unguarded. You know, he's walking out there. There is a security guard that kind of weaves their way as close as they can. But I have seen women inappropriately grab that man in places that you should never, ever grab another person without oh, consent. Yeah. So then consent became the question. And, um, I, I very oddly and weirdly, um, since there haven't been a lot of shows, you know, in the past year and uh, Me Too and stuff happened, he was doing it, but he wasn't walking like out through on the backs of the chairs anymore. He would kind of like go up the aisles. Yeah. He'd walk in the aisles a little and then walk back out. But but then COVID happened. And so what I remember even saying to my friends, like where I we'd be like sitting next to people we didn't know. And these women would reach up and grab, I mean, grab him. And I'm like, that's not your husband. 
That's not your boyfriend. That that man is married to a woman of where are we now? Almost forty years. He's been married to her. He has two grown tr- yeah. sons. I think that's like, also a really big thing that how inappropriate like, are you? It's not just men that needs to you know work a little bit. Like us women, there has been a lot of um, there's a huge double standard. Yeah, there's been. Huge. I mean, if we celebrities i mean who hit on young men who are famous yeah people don't have like they think they have some like stake or like some uh claim over they think they have permission yeah they think they're famous it's kind of like what george clooney talks about when he talks about the paparazzi it's like you know what i know i signed up to be a movie star i know that that came with a loss of privacy to a point Mm -hmm. But that doesn't come. Yeah. Loss of privacy is me and a mall walking down to Starbucks to get coffee on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Loss of privacy is a mall and I going on vacation and we're out shopping somewhere in Venice. Yeah. Loss of privacy is not a mall and I are on our private yacht and some guy is standing on top of a building with a telescopic zoom lens that can go four miles taking yeah. photos of my wife nude sunbathing in the privacy of our own yacht yeah. and i don't yeah. know but the, and that's something i think this is a really interesting story to bring up i don't remember i think it was not a horn but um there you know how couples i'm gonna say a little side story you know how a lot of couples have that if you had the opportunity to meet one of these five Free pass, you can yeah. cheat, right? Free pass. I think it was Free pass, Yeah. He said, now, I think it was not Horn. He said, us being famous. He said, and I get girls have that right with their boyfriends. If everyone agrees, if the opportunity comes along, just know that us famous men know that there's that rule out there. It's out there. We know it is. He said, but what people don't understand, a lot of times these women don't get this. If I meet you at a bar and if I'm hitting on you, I might actually like you. Like, it's not just your feelings involved. Like, it's mine yeah, too. Correct. So I get that it's like this one night stand with a famous guy because you want to tell the story. But for them, at the end of the day, that famous guy has feelings. Yeah. And this famous guy might actually like you. And he's trying to, and then it's super weird when you're like talking to me and your boyfriend's standing right there. And it's like, yeah, honey, try and do it. It's like, I'm right here. I'm a human being just because I'm famous. Yeah. yeah it's literally go ahead and like, and I, I, as I refer back to my, but that's one of the greatest. I think that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Actually in the beginning of the movie, the star is born where Allie's actually saying to Jack, like, so tell me about you or like when they're in the cop bar and she like punches the guy she's and and then they go to the grocery store and the woman takes a picture she's like sorry i had to and Allie's like no actually you didn't have to he's allowed to go to a grocery store he's allowed to go to a bar and have a drink mm-hmm. he's allowed to walk down the street it, it, they're not just objects for our consumption but the problem is 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 hollywood has made them seem to be objects for, of consumption yes. and their PR people, if they don't do, and we and, I, and we're gonna do this again in a couple of weeks because um, I this was my like my real solid demand because of the Oscars because the Oscars this year are gonna be really interesting. Um, good PR people are really good at making it so 
their their person that they work for and protect is kept safe from that kind of grabbing and objectification. They don't let them just go to a pub. They don't, there's always kind of somebody there to kind of run interference. Mm -hmm. They say that's, you know, that's not what you're supposed to do. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's kind of that same angle. It's like, yeah, Niall Horan's standing in a pub in Dublin with his buddies and nobody's thinking that that's really Niall Horan. And then they realize, oh my God, it's Niall Horan. And, um, and then all of a sudden guys are like, try to go, try to go to their girlfriends, try to go get him. And you're thinking you're, and he's thinking, I'm not just here for your girlfriend to like take into the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I'm a human. Yeah. And that's, and, and it dehumanizes them and objectifies them. Yeah. And I think that's really like bizarre. Cause I mean, I talked to my friend about it. We were in the car waiting on breakfast and I remember bringing that up to her and she was like, you know, what's really weird. She said, I never thought of it through their perspective she was like because you're right if let's say you know tom holland hit on me she said i wasn't gonna leave my boyfriend for him i was just gonna sleep with him because he's my whole pass you know yeah and she was like so i never really think about it affecting that famous guy because that he's right like if he's talking to me up like if he's talking to me at a bar he might have feelings for me but i'm just like i'm just trying to hump him <laughs> up because i want you on my list i will <laughs> tell you I always, I always kind of was like free pass. Cause I, my Steve and I have a joke. Everybody's a free pass. And I always have qualifiers on my free passes so I can have tons of them. So it's like, um, uh, like Niall Horan is my, uh, my bogger Irish free pass because then I can have Killian Murphy be my Dublin <laughs> free pass. So I've got like 15 Irish free passes, but I oh give them God. qualifiers so that like, I'm never ever going to like be left out. And then there's obviously you guys know about the five, the five that just show up. I don't care who you are. If any of these five people show up and say, you want to go, you go. Yes, I do. I don't care if you're male, female, how you identify, when Bradley Cooper shows up, you just say yes. When Brad Pitt shows up, you go, uh-huh. I said, I've told my husband, if George, if George Clooney walked up to you and was like, let's go, I would be angry at you if you did not go. I used to tell. I would be like, you grab that opportunity. It's George I used Clooney. To, I, yeah. That, no, that's like a qualifier for men I date. I'm like, if Harry Styles came up to you and said he wants to i want your girlfriend. would you do it and if they say no i'm like this isn't gonna work sorry no <laughs> obviously we don't have However, the same morals i will tell i will say that one of the and and this happened pretty late on in my life um i we went to saint john on vacation for 10 days which most people if you're a kenny chesney fan you know that he has a, a house in saint john he's on island a mm -hmm. lot and saint john's not really populated and when Kenny shows up and he's on island, pretty much he knows like everybody because for real, St. John has a population, I think, of a, maybe about 2,500 people on the entire island. Um, and there's a lot of like wealthy people that have homes there, but those homes are either rented out to people that are tourists. But the people that actually like live on St. John, own restaurants, own stores, you know, that kind of stuff about, you know, make their living doing tours and parasailing and stuff around 2000 people um they all learned very quickly when he bought his home there that kenny chesney doesn't come to saint john to be famous kenny chesney comes to saint john to come to saint john and if you want to be friends with kenny chesney the first thing you have to do is 
stop treating him like Kenny Chesney and treat him like Kenny from Tennessee. Mm -hmm. He was on vacation. And when we went to, when we went to St. John, there were these people at the Weston that were like, we hear Kenny Chesney's going to be on Island. We hear like he's going to be on the Island this week. And I finally turned around and said to these women, because they were all like thinking, and I was like, okay, here's the deal. I love Kenny Chesney. Uh, Kenny Chesney, it's, it's May 5th. Kenny Chesney's touring. Kenny Chesney is not going to be on the island. Every restaurant we went to the whole week, they were, people were like, um, how do you like St. John? I'm like, oh, I totally love it. You know, it's beautiful. It's going to be. And they were like, you know, Kenny Chesney comes here. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I come. And they do it on like a tour. If like, you take a tour of the island, they're like, there's Kenny's house. And I'm like, there's. And then they're like, that's where he married Renee Zellweger for 14 minutes. Um. But I've had friends who have gone to St. John on vacation and they were like, we got there and we went into a bar and Kenny was like sitting in the bar playing guitar and everybody's hanging out. And nobody's, nobody's freaking out. Like he, he sings songs and everybody in the bar singing along and they're all and having a good time. I need like, to know. I need to know if that's what's happening right now in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Cause you know, who's in Bucks County, Pennsylvania right now. Zane from One Direction is just chilling in Bucks County. Why is he with Gigi? Well, literally when that, I saw that on TikTok, I said, oh my God, these people are too attractive to be like, that's where Justin Greeny lives. Justin Greeny lives. Justin (laughs) Greeny. Oh, this is going to go poorly, (laughs) Tresland. This is gonna go poorly. For you, you like you zapped out. He said, "What?" <laughs> Tresslin. It's the guy that Kelly Clarkson beat on the first ever season of American Idol. The curly one. He could have been. He's little sweet in the Dr Pepper commercials. That's also an amazing, amazing singer. And he lives there. Pink lives there too. Bradley Cooper has a house. It's ridiculous. Abington. Why do they all come to Pennsylvania of all the freaking states? They're what all from here. That's where they're from. Well, Zane's not from here, but I mean, Justin Green was born and raised in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And and Bradley Cooper was born and raised up off Germantown Pike, up in up in like Abington, Glenside area. Um, Actually, Taylor Swift is from Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah she's, she's from Wyoming, which is near, she's from Wyoming, which is near Reading. Um, so, and I mean, we have people from, I mean, Pat Monahan's from Erie. There's lots of people that are from Pennsylvania that go on to Pat Monahan. I forget about that guy sometimes. How do you forget that voice of like golden angel? We have a chance, girls. We have a chance to get out of here. (laughs) I mean, Bradley Cooper left. He's from Philly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we have a chance. We just need to make sure this podcast goes up. This podcast, well, that's so episode. listen no, this to this episode. podcast, people. Tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Tell them not to listen to this episode because it's a garbage storm. <laughs> oh this um, one's great. Well, what we, are you talking about? we are at like I think we're, we're at about an hour. We're at right? about an hour yeah. and ninety-two minutes because of technical difficulties. My husband, the yeah. dog, food arrived. But it's okay because once I cut, once I cut, it's gonna be like an hour. So okay. like, yeah. What I do want to, what I do want to, like, kind of wrap up with is I think it's really interesting to talk about how people, especially women. 
because women tend to not have the voice or they feel like they are they're stifled like Rihanna did. Are you silent um, or are you silenced? Yeah, are you silent? Are you silenced? And I think silenced. I think it's amazing that um that there are there are women like Jennifer Lawrence or like Gal Gadot. I mean, Gal Gadot literally put Wonder the Wonder Woman franchise on hold. If you are not gonna pay women the same amount of money in this industry as as their male counterparts then there will be no more wonder woman and wonder woman made a lot of money for dc because nothing else did except joker you know what i mean but like even when you think think about the fact how important scarlett johansson was in all those avenger movies and knowing knowing straight up that robert downey jr got paid more money mark ruffalo got paid more money chris Hemsworth got paid more money Jeremy Renner got paid more money and he's not even as important as her. Yeah. You know, like Tom Hiddleston probably should have gotten paid the most because mm. Loki is the bomb. But mm. he's so fun. <laughs> but I mean they all are, but like, like even in Thor, even in the original Thor, where it's like Thor and he's got you know, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman didn't get paid as much as Chris Helmsworth. She's just as vital to the story. Yep. And she didn't get paid as much as him. We all know she didn't. Hmm. And so she's one of the people that's spoken out. That's why she doesn't work a lot. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how much she got paid in uh, Star Wars, too. But anyways, we've been rambling for way too dang long, ladies. The three of us can talk for hours. I need to go get some milk from the store. So we got to go. Thank you so much for listening to episode We would like to have Instacart advertise for us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'd like everyone. I'd like Harry Styles to, you know. <laughs> I'd like Harry Styles to put a ring on this finger, but that ain't gonna you, happen anytime soon. I would like. I'd like to go on the record as saying I only said his name one time. So our swear. I know. Yeah. I know. I have to put so much money in that jar. Anyway, thank you so much for watching episode six of Exposure Breakdown. We're gonna probably put um, a live video on Instagram for you guys just to see our pretty face. And please forgive what I look like today. Yeah, yeah, forgive mine too. I tried to do. Wait a minute, hold on. I promise I washed my hair. It just my Harry Styles, James James Corden carpool karaoke. There she goes. Boom. Yes. Boom. Boom. All right, guys. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yep. Um, what else? YouTube. Oh yeah, YouTube. We have to make that channel so long. I got. I'll make the YouTube channel. Okay. Anyway, thank you guys so much around. for mis- listening. Follow us on Spotify. Keep up to date with all of our episodes. There'll be more every Sunday, hopefully. Uh, oh, there will be more. Well, um, they come out on Monday, but yeah, it'll yeah. probably come out on Monday. Anyway, no, thank you guys <laughs> so much, and remember to stay kind and loving to be everybody. Kind to everybody. Be kind to everybody. Everybody matters. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. All right, guys. Stay kind. Love you all. Thank you so much. Love for you. Be safe. Bye. 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 Bye.